Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Let's talk about the unity, the oneness with everything that is often felt with the near death experience. And uh, I'm just going to share one experience today um, because it so beautifully illustrates this point, but it also illustrates another point that I want to make. Uh, actually, a couple of points. Um, and one of them is simply that in order for somebody to have what I would call a near-death experience, one does not need to be near death at all. In fact, the only reason that I think that uh, near-death experience is still the best word for it is because it's the best description of the experience, not necessarily the how of the experience. So, for example, if, if somebody codes and they stop you know, their heart stops and they find themselves standing over their body and then go into a light and so forth. Clearly, that's a near-death experience. And everybody identifies a near-death experience as, or not everybody, but most people who have heard of this phenomena uh, identify that as a near-death experience because of these, this experience beyond life that they had. Okay? If somebody, however goes to bed feeling fine and has this remarkable dream that perfectly matches all the descriptions from amazing colors to um, vivid beyond reality um, to, you know, light and heavenly beings and dead one, dead loved ones and, and so forth. That, in my estimation, is absolutely a near-death experience. Now, it's possible if the person studies it, like if I were to have a dream like that, I would have to question a little bit because I would have to say, well, but I mean, I study these things, so my mind really is consumed with this idea already, so maybe it came up with this based on that. So there's a possibility of that for somebody who studies these things deeply, but to one who has either had a near-death experience before or to one who has never known any such experience and has such an experience, it's clearly something more. So, this is an example of of one such experience. The other point, number two, that I wanted to make beyond this is, is, and we've emphasized this around the time thing, that how long it takes is completely irrelevant. Because remember, on the other side, time does not exist. I still have no idea what that means, other than what's been said about it, it, that that time is irrelevant. The passage of five seconds over here could feel like years on the other side. How that works, I don't know, but that seems to be the case. That's just what people's experience is. And so when somebody says, well, wait a minute, though, you, you were only, you know, you only had this experience for a short time, and yet you talk about this and this happening. No way could that have happened in time. No way could you have seen all that in that time. It just doesn't compute. Therefore, I reject it. Well, you're, I understand your concern there, but you're, but you're completely overlooking the very point that is made in the having of such an experience that time doesn't exist there. So when you hear about her 
time frame and so forth, and you say, wait a minute, how could that have happened in that time period? That's really not a factor. Not uh, from my estimation, based on what I have learned about near-death experiences. So don't let that hold you up, and don't let it hold you up the fact that she did not have an experience that was near-death. The fact is, she had an experience that was so totally beyond anything she could uh, comprehend that there's no question in my mind, this was a near-death experience. Now, once we have a better word for near-death experience that doesn't necessarily involve death, but uh, you could say a spirit world experience, but I mean, anyway, the point is, it's the best word we've got right now. So I'm sticking with the word near-death experience. This is the experience of Mary Deoma, and it is one that I happened upon while looking for near-death experiences, studying these things. And it's one that is is just this simple little video on YouTube that she's just standing in front of her computer talking. And you can hear from the sound quality, this is just probably her phone, maybe her laptop. And she's sharing this. And um, it's not one of these, you know, documentaries with, with, you know, uh, ghost experience music playing in the background because <laughs> you get those too, which whatever. But but this is just her talking about her experience, and it's so authentic in my mind. You can see in her face she's just overwhelmed with trying to figure out how to explain what she experienced. And this is one other point that I want to make. And and I'm sorry for making all these points beforehand. Usually I try to do it after the experience, but this is kind of important to me. She does write a book, and it's called Loved, A Transcendent Journey, and uh, and she, her website is lovedandtranscendentjourney.com if you want to go and take a look at it. It's this beautiful, simple cover, um, and and it looks from, you know, I, I, I haven't looked into it. I don't know who published it or if she self-published or what, but the point I want to make about this is sometimes people are bothered by the fact that somebody has this beautiful, incredible, transcendent experience and then writes a book on it for money. As if it somehow cheapens their experience or makes it, um, oh, well, you just made this up for money. And obviously, you always have to have your feelers out for that. Because if somebody's making up an experience, um, inventing it, in order to make money, that's absolutely corrupt and evil. I mean, <laughs> that's, uh, I'll come straight out and say it. That is wrong. You, you don't lie about things like that. You just don't do that. But for somebody who genuinely has an experience like this, like Mary, I say if whatever it takes to get the word out about it. And from the perspective of somebody who is a musician and an author, I've written books, I've written music, for one thing, it's very difficult to publish. But but another thing is, I've struggled with the idea, yeah, but I just want to get this information out there. I should make it free and so forth. What I've found in my experience is that that doesn't work. Not usually. Once in a while, it will for some people. But they'll put up a video like hers, and it gets, you know, 52 views because friends and family were nice enough to click play. 
and it nothing happens and people try to get the word out and they and people just start going uh, uh, this is a weirdo and and it becomes this this uh thing that you've actually estranged yourself from the world making it less possible for you to make a difference in the world what publishing a book and charging money does is it places in the psyche of society that this thing has value this message has value there is something here that is worth paying for and when you just publish a book and just make it free on amazon if you can pull it off and get the word out there that way, that's great, and I applaud you for it. But for most people, that doesn't work. That just doesn't work. And putting it up there for money and making it a valuable thing. In fact, I think most people undercharge for their books, and they'll they'll do it for five ninety nine or something. And and people are like, well, you know, it's probably not really worth that much then if it's only that. Which I. I don't get it. I don't get why people see things that way, but it turns out to be true. When I first put out uh, some of my music, um, I started undercharging. I, I was putting it at very low prices. I just wanted to get it heard and let people hear it. In fact, when I very first started, I, I put much of my music out for free and just said, hey, everybody, enjoy this music. Nobody listened, other than a few Facebook friends and stuff. They were like, oh, it's beautiful. Thank you for sharing this. And I don't even think they downloaded it. They just listened to it on the page and, and then went on about their work, which is fine. That's totally fine. But the word didn't get out. It wasn't until I put it on the internet with a dollar sign next to it that it started to sell. And in fact, when I first started selling, I started selling at low price. And then um, based on the lack of success I was having and the encouragement of others, I decided to try putting it, my sheet music singles, download this music and people will print it on their own printer for $3.99, $4 just to have a file to print out. That seemed ridiculously high price to me, but I, but I did do some research and to see what professionals charge and that's what they charge. That's the typical price. And these days, it's actually kind of low. These days, it's more like 5 6 or even $7 that people are paying uh, for sheet music. And I was kind of like, okay, but if the, if the sales stop like I expect them to, I'm bringing it back down to like a dollar a piece or whatever it was that I was charging. And uh, sure enough, the, price, or the uh, sales went up more people bought it. So the point in that is that while I don't understand it, while I don't un agree with society's broken view of value, where if it, if it doesn't cost money, it's not worth anything, which somehow that seems to be a thing, um, and it proves out in the numbers and in, and in experience, while I don't agree with that, um, the society's view on that, I do recognize that that's the best way to go about it. I, I don't know how else to say it. For most people, that's going to be the way that you're going to get your message out there. Publish a dang book. Pu publish a, a DVD of your experience and, and charge decent money for it. It shouldn't be that way. No, it shouldn't be. But it is for whatever reason. 
And, uh, and so if you have in your mind this, this um, stereotype of people publishing their near-death experiences as being wanting to, uh, to, you know, make a quick, easy buck or something, first off, you're overlooking the fact that writing a book is hard work. Imagine if, if you had to, basically, it's equivalent to having to take six months off of work and devote eight hours a day, every day, to your book. Most people just simply cannot do that. It just, it's too much time. It's too much effort. They can't do that. And just writing a book, even if the information is all in your head, exactly ready to put on a book, there is so many steps and so much work and so much time behind doing this that anybody that's going to put that that much time and effort into something, you better charge for it. <laughs> because otherwise, you're going to have have spent all that time and lost all the money you would have would have earned by working for six months and uh you know the point is reframe your mind a little bit around this idea of charging for a near-death experience uh book or something um because it's going to it's going to help this author to make the difference in the world that they're trying to make. Many people, and I'll say this about this as well, many people who have their experience are told you need to write a book and you need to publish it in their experience by divine beings. And I'm thinking, you know, when I first heard this, I'm like, what the heck do angels care about about money and how I'm making money? What? What? But I think it's because they know on the other side how our uh, capitalistic world works. They know our value placement on things that you charge for and so forth, whatever. And the fact is, if you're asking somebody to do something like, you know, write a book, okay, and you're asking them to put it out there for free, then what you're asking them to do is, I don't want to, as you're saying, I don't want you to spend your life trying to make this difference in the world that you were sent back to make. I don't want you to spend your time doing that. I want you to release this information for free so that you can continue to work at McDonald's, so that you can continue to be a greeter at Walmart, so you can continue to be corporate manager of this place, because that's what you should be spending your time doing to make money. You shouldn't be trying to spend your time uh, doing the thing that you're passionate about, that you feel like you've been called by God to do. You shouldn't be making money doing that thing. And it's like, what? <laughs> you know? It's like, hang on. Now, I will, I will uh, be the first to say, if you're trying to you know, um, spread your religious beliefs. Yeah, I'm all for, no, don't charge for that. That's a different thing. If you're talking about uh, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, for example, I have issue somewhat with charging for that. Yeah, I do. This is not what we're talking about, okay? If this person's life work is intended to be publishing their experience and going around and speaking at 
conventions or whatever to offer the hope and love that is that was granted you to share with people to bring heaven to earth in a sense and you are called upon to do that as your life's work then you're going to have to publish something you're going to have to do something to make money because otherwise you've got to spend 40 hours a week working your manager position for somebody else doing some kind of work that is unrelated to your experience so I'm sorry that I took it that far. <laughs> I get I get kind of fueled about these things because I've been through the experience of struggling with that question. How can I charge for this? And I get it now. I get it. And if you don't get it, please just have a little bit of humility and allow yourself the experience of getting Mary's book, maybe, and seeing what... I haven't read it. I'm going to tell you up front. I don't know what it contains. I haven't read it all. I have come across of hers is this YouTube video, which I'm going to play for you, the audio for, because it so beautifully illustrates this question of one with everything. So, without further ado, of which there has been much, here is the experience by Mary Dama. I want to share my story with you to let you know that this is something that's possible. And for those thousands or millions of people that have already experienced something like this, I can be another validation for you. I, I was lucky enough to experience something very special. I had a moment of enlightenment, a moment of actual direct contact with God. It happened in a time in my life where I was experiencing a personal tragedy and I was driving down the road and I felt so much pain in my heart. My heart was breaking and I was angry and I felt like I had done everything right already. I felt like I followed all the guidance that I got from God. I felt like I had made the right choices. But still, the situation was heartbreaking. And so, I'm driving along, and I'm just really angry with God. And finally, I, I decided to ask myself, what would Mother Teresa do in this situation? And it came to me immediately, Mother Teresa would love anyway. And then I asked, what would Jesus do in this situation? And it came to me immediately, Jesus would forgive his enemies. People that hurt me, I could forgive them. And then I asked, what would Muhammad do? And it came to me immediately, Muhammad would submit. And I understood it in a way that I never understood it before. I understood that that meant to turn my life over to God, to humbly ask God, to help me take this pain from me. And I did. And I I imagined my heart going out to God. And in that moment, a beam of pure white came out of the sky and came down and touched me 
on my shoulder. I was so filled with love. It's impossible to describe how much love there was in that moment. All the love of the world filled my whole entire body. Every cell of my body was completely infused with this love. It was the love of a parent for their precious child. And in the same moment, I recognized that I always knew this, that this truth was always there for me. And I was remembering, and not just learning something new, I was remembering, I am part of this love. I am God, and God is me. It doesn't really convey the truth to say the words. It doesn't come close to Anyway, as this beam touched me, suddenly I was viewing this scene of the road as I was driving down from three different places. I was seeing it from my body, and I was seeing it from the passenger seat. From the passenger seat, I could see it with my intellect. I was observing clearly the edges of the beam and thinking, that's not light. And it's diffused at the top, and it comes to a point on my shoulder, and it came through the window, and it touched me and had contact. And so I, I was just like, not really in that. I, it wasn't until later that I really could process that information, but I was just taking it all in. And then from the behind, from the rear pass, the back passenger seat, I was um, just all the love, this emotion, this incredible amount of emotion. And then my soul went out of my heart. My soul went up the beam and as it went up the beam I felt so connected to all the souls as I reached the top of the beam I rippled out in concentric circles and I became one with every soul on the planet and then my focus shifted and I became one with all the trees on the planet and specifically I could I could feel that I was in a tree and I was looking at another tree in the forest which was me looking back at me it was so incredible and then I was all the grass and I was looking at a, you know, a blade of grass next to me that was me looking back at me. It was amazing. And I was, then, my focus shifted and I was a rock on a mountain. I was the earth. And that really surprised me because I just never imagined that inanimate objects are filled with God consciousness. And then my focus shifted again and I was all of the entire universe, <laughs> complete 
entire universe so humongous at the same time. I don't know how, but I can see the smallest, tiniest particle of what the universe is made out of. It was this massive, uniform field of particle, and it's the tiniest level, the tiniest particle, smaller than anything we can, that I know that we can record. It was pure white, pure, and this was sort of a radiant light, and this particle was pure energy. But more than that, this particle that everything in the entire universe is made out of is love, like a tangible love that is the stuff of God. And it just blew me away. It was awesome. And I went beyond the universe to this pure consciousness. I've heard it called the void, but that doesn't come close to describing what it was. <clears throat> it's not anything you can describe, <laughs> which is so frustrating because I so want to let you know what it's like. It is pure potential, pure consciousness prior to actualization. It doesn't look like anything. It's outside of time and space. It isn't close to anything you can describe in the physical universe. But it was so amazing, so full of love. so incredible and whatever pain <laughs> Woo, that was gone <laughs> there was no pain left over and I realized that um, wow I realized that at the same time all this was happening I was driving along the road still it, it, it the whole thing didn't take more than a second and a half and there was a sign a building next to the exit that I was just getting off of that was illuminated it was a bookstore and I got that God wanted me to go to that bookstore so I did and I made that split decision oh okay this really happened and I turned the wheel and I went on the exit to the get to go to the bookstore and I went to the bookstore and then I was back into myself totally, completely, for not forgetting, but re-realizing myself as normal. <laughs> and uh, now here I am in the bookstore, and I'm like, okay, now what? <laughs> so did you catch that? Did you catch all those little moments of like, I don't even know what to do with this kind of feeling? She's like, she's at this bookstore after this amazing experience, and she's like, now what? <laughs> I mean, her life has just been changed 
because of this single one second experience. One second. It wasn't even enough to get her swaying on her in her lane on in the car. I mean, what? What? And yet there it is. And I believe her. Honestly, I believe her. I believe she experienced what she did, which, holy cow, I'm jealous, you know, first off. <laughs> and yet I don't want to have to go through whatever it was that she was going through with, with anxiety and struggles in her life in order to get there, of course. You know, whether that was the cause, quote unquote, or, or the uh, prerequisite, if there is such a thing, I don't know, you know, but, but uh, clearly she was going through some things in her life and struggling and, and forgiveness being a, a big part of it. And then all of a sudden, her, in those, that moment where she is expanding outward, as it sounds like. It's almost like, sounds like her spirit is, rather than just lifting from her body, which it seems to have done to some extent, but it also expanded outward. So that this tree over here, suddenly she's feeling and sensing that tree. And suddenly it's as though she is that tree sensing and recognizing her. And expanding outward into the stars and the universe and to God himself. Now, this is something that many people would, when, when she says, I am God and God is me, would say that is outright blasphemy. And I get it. I get what you're saying. And you, to some extent, you may be right. And yet, at the same, ex at the same time too, this seems to be the experience that God is giving her. It's as if for a moment they're becoming somewhat of one. This unity with God. And she's completely taken aback by it. She doesn't even know what to make of it. But it's so encompassing. So uh, full of love. So full of, of both acceptance and forgiveness and 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 perfection and all-encompassingness that she suddenly somehow seems to comprehend the atoms of the universe right down to the finest, finest point, which she describes as this, you know, incredible light and love. And how in the world does that make up what makes up what makes up what makes up the universe? How in the world is that the case? But it seems to be the case. <laughs> how, do, how do you explain this? How do you? And yet she's struggling just as much as you and I in hearing these things to know what to make of it. And she's sitting at this bookstore afterward that she finally is off the road. She didn't even miss, you know, I mean, she, she sees this sign for the exit. And then after this whole encompassing experience, she's passing the exit. So, I mean, it's probably, like, like she said, it's probably only a second or two that this whole experience take, takes place in, and yet her spirit has stepped outside, stepped outside of time and space and the universe in order to be able to see it in its fullness and to be able to experience it almost as if she's experiencing it for a moment from the point of view of everything everywhere. You know, starts out with, with herself and her spirit, then this tree, and then expanding outward. And what? How? <laughs> you know? And yet that's her experience. 
Just because she can't explain it, she doesn't understand it, doesn't mean she didn't experience it. And in fact, that's a testament to me that, that she really did. The fact that she's blown away by this and like, what? And so that reaches us to, brings us to the end of the, what I consider the 12 basic fundamentals. And there could be probably a dozen or two more of, of these fundamental um, things that I consider as being basic elements of near-death experiences. And people don't necessarily experience all of them. In fact, I, it, it's very rare for people to experience all of the fundamentals in their experience. It's also rare for them to not experience any of them. I can think of very, ex very few experiences where um, they didn't experience any of them. But most people experience at least one or, or many of them. And the reason I share these as fundamentals is because once you've got these 12 things as a backdrop to say, this seems to be what's going on in near-death experiences, then all the others that you experience and all the little things that uh, you'll hear about near-death experiences seem to fall into something of a category of one or many of these. And some of them can be taken and say, well, what if this is just a twist or, or a re-perspectivizing of this other uh, fundamental over here that we're familiar with? And I should explain, too, that most people's near-death experiences, when you take the whole you know, a conglomeration of all the experiences that people have had, very few are as in-depth as these that I have shared in the past two weeks. Um, because most people, it's like they find themselves, they maybe fell out of a tree or something as a, you know, eight-year-old, and they're standing over their body, and they see their parent come running out, and boom, they're back in their body. And that's it. Others uh, maybe just... Uh, in in surgery or something and they black out and they find themselves in this complete darkness but completely awake and and kind of aware of the presence of others in this void and then they boom and they're out of their body or back in their body and that seems to be it uh, i talked to um some friends of mine um when she was it's a it's an older couple um probably in their 70s i think and she had had some, I can't even remember what the issues were, but she went into a coma for about a day. And I, I have to be careful how I approach people about this because, you know, I don't want to, it's not like, woohoo, opportunity to talk to somebody about this, this thing. Cause no, it's more like, ah, oh, are you okay? Oh my gosh. Are you all right? And so forth. But I went to visit them at the hospital and, and I couldn't resist, but at least ask. And I've, and I've tried to find ways to ask this in the most um, comfortable and easy to share type of way. <clears throat> and what I've started doing is when somebody has either a coma kind of experience or they, or they blacked out at some point um, without the help of the doctor, which, you know, if they put you out, they, then you don't usually have those kind of experiences that, oh, I've heard of them there too. But, uh, if you, whoa, you and you black out, 
often people will have some kind of experience. Anyway, um, what I've come to start asking people is, so when you went unconscious, do you have any memories from that time being unconscious? That's a simple question that sounds and feels casual and not small talk, but, but you know, it's not like you're probing for, did you see God? <laughs> you know, that, that would feel a little much for people, um, a lot of people anyway, especially if they didn't have any kind of experience. Because if I say, do you have any memories of, of the time when you were unconscious? Um, they'll often say, no, no, it's, it's pretty much, uh, I, I woke up and, and suddenly I'm, you know, not feeling very good or whatever, whatever. But anyway, so I've kind of started asking people that. And this lady, um, that I went to visit at the hospital, I said, dude, so do you, do you remember anything from that time that you were unconscious when you were in a coma? And, and she kind of, her husband kind of looks at her and it's kind of like, you going to tell him kind of thing, you know? And, and, uh. And she says, well, not, not much, but I do have a memory of being in a beautiful room with beautiful music. And that was it. That was it, being in a beautiful room with beautiful music. And I'm like, yeah, that is a near-death experience and how beautiful and what a testament that is. And this seems to be not only, not only common, but it seems to be common enough that if you talk to two or three people that you know that have been unconscious and just say, do you remember anything, be it a dream, be it whatever, um, from the time you were unconscious, my guess is that at least one of those three will be able to tell you something that matches the description of one of these fundamentals. And of course, it probably won't be as big as all this because these are what might be considered by some exceptional experiences. People have this, you know, there's this light and they go through this tunnel and there's this, you know, glorious landscape and they see loved ones and so forth. Most people don't experience all of that, but most people do experience, most people who have been unconscious for some event, um, I should say one in three, give or take, uh, will experience a tiny little aspect of it. They'll feel like they're standing in space. The, or then maybe they'll feel like they, they were in this glorious light. Or maybe they will just feel this overwhelming love. And that's all. And that is matching one of these fundamentals. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. So, with the fundamentals aside, I think in the future episodes, what we will do... And, and I, I leave this to my own moods and discretion to change and mix and match, whatever. I'll probably just get on and say, here's a beautiful experience. Some of them, maybe I won't have even read yet. I'll just have started scanning through and say, yeah, this looks like it's one worth sharing. And then read the whole thing for the podcast and then either discuss it or just say, that's all for today. But I, I do want to keep sharing these. I want to make this information known for the simple reason that it has the potential to change lives. It's changed mine. And I am no less religious and no less spiritual than I was before, but I feel like 
I have a little bit more teeth in my spirituality than I've had before, if that even makes any sense. Um, so, with that, thank you again so much for listening.